Church, will you go with me to Hebrews chapter 12? Again, we'll be spending time in Hebrews 12, verses 3 through 17. Now, if you do not have a Bible here today, feel free to raise your hand. There will be a person walking around with a Bible. If you do not own a Bible, please hear me. You ready? That Bible is a gift to you. Please take it. We would rejoice in you leaving with God's word today. Again, so we're going to be talking about the correcting nature and love of God. <clears throat> Hebrews 12, 3 through 17. I want to read through our text first, and then I want us to dive into this beautiful theology. Go with me to God's word, starting in verse 3. The subject heading is, do not grow weary. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin, as you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the Father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which you all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it may become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterwards, when he, desired the her when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he had no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. My first point this morning out of Hebrews chapter 12 is this. Watch out what you consider. Watch out what you consider. Look at verses 3 through 4 with me again. Consider him who has endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Right off the bat, Hebrews is saying, consider Christ. This is why Tozer's quote about what you think about God right off of the bat is so important. Because right here it's going, consider Christ. Hebrews is saying, in order to endure, in order to persevere in hostility, in persecution, in hardship, you must consider Christ. But let's face it, if you have a small, weak Christ, why would you ever consider him? If you have a small Christ who is not relevant for your trial, you will most certainly consider something else. 
But Hebrews here is saying, thank you, is saying to consider Christ. Why? Because only he is worthy to be considered. And so instantly I'm going, okay, that's a big claim, Hebrews. Teach me more. Look at it. It says, consider him who has endured. That ED at the end of endured is very important. You know why? You haven't endured, you're enduring. You ever thought of the difference? He has endured, which means he has done it, and he has done it perfectly. You, on the other hand, are right in the middle of it. You're enduring. And so Hebrews is saying, as you're enduring, look to the one who has perfectly endured. When Hebrews says, consider him, it is saying, look to the example of suffering in obedience to God. You see, when your affection, your thoughts, your hope is on the one who has endured, then we're going to be able to endure as well because we have set our mind not only on the one who has done it, but the one who has put his spirit within us. Hebrews is saying, consider him so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Consider is just another word to look to. The, re- the remedy of not growing weary in these, hard seri- in these hard seasons is found in what you look to. Now let's face it. Let's not over-romanticize what being a Christian is like. We as humans are so tempted to look to things that are not Christ. We want to look to our spouse's approval. We want to look to our strength, our wisdom, our perseverance, our ability to control. We want to look to others and what others can do for us. But God is saying, if you are going to endure, if you're going to persevere, then you must look to the person and example of Christ. The remedy for burnout and weariness is what we look to. And the gospel is calling us to look to the one who already has. What in seasons of hostility and difficulty are you going to consider? As a counselor, I can tell you this. I've never met a human being, believer or non-believer, who doesn't consider something. My question to you is in the hard and heavy seasons of life, what are you going to consider? Hebrews is saying, consider Christ. He's subjected himself to it, he has endured it, and he is with you in it. And so we see the, we see the like, watch out what you consider, because what you consider is going to give you life, or what you consider is going to bring you death. But why the beauty of God's correcting love is so great is, like, here's my second point, like, watch the beauty of God's correction in our lives. It's found in verses 6 through 11. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. I'm just in verse six. Nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And he chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which you have all participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Read closer in verse six. What does it say? The Lord disciplines the one whom he loves. Let's say that again, because sometimes that's a hard truth to swallow. The Lord disciplines the one whom he loves. 
When was the last time you felt the correction or discipline of the Lord in your life and you saw it as a demonstration of love? We can be tempted to think that the discipline from the Lord is wrath, that his correction is his hatred, his indifference, or his distance. Hebrews is saying, if you are experiencing the discipline and correction of the Lord, it is a demonstration of his love for you. And I have to pause here as a counselor. This is, this is a hard one to swallow because I have no doubt many people in here have been corrected by your parents. And some parents do a great job in correction and some parents do a horrible job in correction. As a counselor, I have been brought into some of the darkest experiences and stories that humans have ever endured. I don't pretend to think that there's many of us here today who have experienced correction, but it did not come from love. It came from pure anger. And so the idea of correction or discipline, given your life experience, might sound like the most frightening, hurtful thing. But I want you to know when your God corrects and when your God disciplines, it is always good. Hebrews says the Lord corrects and disciplines as a demonstration of his love. Here's a, here's a great encouraging thought and a scary thought at the same time. What then is an absence of the Lord's discipline in your life? Scary thought. If his discipline and his correction is a demonstration of his love for you as a child, if the Lord does not correct or discipline you, you might have a very different conclusion to come to today. It says that he disciplines the ones whom he loves. Read closer in verse 7. He is disciplining us, and it's a sign that God is treating you as his child. Discipline is a sign not only of love that the father has for a son, but he is treating you as a child. Now, there's two ways to think of that. Child like you're, child like you're foolish, or child like you are a member of his family. The Lord disciplining and correcting us in our lives is a display of sonship. It's a display of daughtership. If you are here today and there's areas of your life that the Lord is pressing into, I say rejoice. It's evidence of your citizenship. If he is not pushing into you and he has never pushed into you, it's equally a sign of citizenship in a not good way. But if you're here today and you have felt the correcting love of God, I'm here to rejoice with you because I am experiencing the correcting love of God. And when he corrects you, you must listen to the undertow of what he is saying, that as he pushes into those hard areas of your life, what he is saying is, son, I love you. When he's pushing into those areas of your life, he is saying, you are my child. 
But let's face it, more often than not, our sin is gonna try to preach to us a very different message and our flesh will preach a very different message and people will preach a very different message. Verse seven is clear. He disciplines his children and it's evidence of our citizenship, our adoption. But if he does not discipline you and he does not correct you, warning, you are probably an illegitimate child. As a counselor, I never feel people who come to the room and they come to the room with tears and they're like, the Lord is just wrecking me right now and showing me my heart and is showing me where my heart does not align with his heart. And they come in so defeated and it's probably the weirdest session in the world for them, but I'm rejoicing. Why? Because they are leaning into the correcting love of God. And when a child of God leans into that love, it is a demonstration of love and citizenship. But if a person comes into the counseling room never needing the correction or discipline of the Lord, every alarm bell goes off for me. If you're here today and you're feeling that disciplining love of God, you're feeling that correction, I'm here to rejoice with you. You know why? Dead people do not feel Do you know that the book of Romans and Colossians is very clear? Before Christ saves you, you are dead in your sins and trespasses. How much do dead people feel? Nothing. What are dead people? Answer, just dead. So if you are struggling here today, or you are seeing areas of your life that just does not align with the gospel or God's desire for you, I'm here to say dead people don't feel. So if you're feeling here today, it means that there is spiritual life going on within you. Living in Virginia for a while, I got to walk with a lot of military. I love military. One individual I walked with was getting a very elite form of training. And so Uh, He got injured during the training and he had to get resuscitated. And he woke up after being resuscitated. He was complaining to the medic. This is the coolest story. I never want an army, I never want an army medic because they're tough love, but watch this. So he goes to the medic, he's like, I'm in a lot of pain. And the medic was like, suck it up. Dead people don't feel. If you are in pain, it means that there is life. And if it's true for a soldier in the military, it is true for a child of God. If you are experiencing growing pains, if you are experiencing the correcting love of God, I'm here to say, rejoice, dead people do not feel. People who are dead in their sins and trespasses do not worry about pleasing the Lord. They do not care. They are dead to him. But if you are here and you're like, this is area of my life. And God calls me to this. And, and I'm over here and I'm not, I'm here to say rejoice. The Lord is pushing into your heart. And if you lean into what he is showing you, you will experience the love of God and you will experience an authentication of your adoption as a child of God. Before salvation, we are dead to the things of God. But if the Lord is showing you these areas of your life that do not align with him, rejoice. It sounds like spiritual life. Dead people don't think about the things of God. Dead people don't wrestle with the desire to please God. Dead people are simply dead. The beauty of God's correcting love is that if you are feeling it, if you are wrestling with it, if you are trying to grow, then there is spiritual life in you where at one point there was just death. 
the Lord uses discipline in our lives as a display of his love for us and as a display of our citizenship as sons and daughters of God. That is why, as we're about to read, it says, do not grow weary. This is why we cannot grow weary. Why? It's a beautiful demonstration of how the Lord is working in our lives. Do not grow weary. Why? Because only a God as great as ours could use discipline and correction to show love and adoption. God also uses discipline for another context. It's for our good and sanctification. Look at verses 9 through 11. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the fathers of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short while, as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The Lord disciplines you and I for our good. This is why what you think about God is crucial. He is not a God who wounds at random. He corrects, changes, and convicts. And it is always good when we lean in and trust him. God is more invested in your transformation than your comfort. Our transformation into Christ's likeness is always for our good. Our good will, does not always equate to our comfort our happiness, or our ease. God's transformative work in our lives often takes us out of our comfort zone to grow us. But it is always, always, always for our good. And you're probably here today and going, but Lord, like, Matt, you don't understand. It's uncomfortable. Matt, I don't think you understand. It's hard. Matt, I don't think you understand. It's been a long season. I'm here to say the word of God agrees. Hebrews said it first. Of course, God's correction is not always comfortable, but endure it because it's good. There are times where it feels painful rather than pleasant. Hebrews literally uses that phrase. In the moment, the stretching of the Lord working in your life will remove your sense of comfort, will remove your sense of togetherness, and will remove you even from, at times, your comfortable view of your sense of self. And in that moment, God takes us into the arena of sanctification. And it is often an arena that will show us two things. Our inadequacy and shortcoming and the perfect nature, character, and power of our God. I'm not here to over-romanticize it. Sometimes you are on the wrestling mat of sanctification and you feel like your head is pinned down to the ground and you're face down on the mat. And in that moment, be reminded of who you are not. <laughs> we are not God and we are not that great. But greater in that moment is to be reminded of who your God is. And so if you are being stretched, you are being grown, you are being disciplined, you are being corrected, and you're showing, and it's showing you your shortcomings, but it's showing you the greatness of God, I'm here to say, why is that a bad thing? Is that not good to be reminded? 
Why? Because in Hebrews, we're called to consider him, not us. Consider him. And so sometimes we're being thrown around on the mat of sanctification. And that's why we must set our thoughts, our affections, our desires, and our plans upon the Lord. Why? When we consider him, we are going to endure even in the hard and heavy seasons. The short-term pain will lead to an eternal gain. The peaceful fruit of righteousness is what Hebrews calls it. This correction and discipline is birthing something beautiful in your life. Lean in. It's birthing the peaceful fruit of righteousness in your life. Now, I don't work a lot with plants. I love buying my wife flowers, and I kill them all the time. And so I went with orchids because the florist told me, like, you have to really suck in order to kill an orchid. I kill every orchid. How? I don't know. You're supposed to give it an ice cube once a week. Somehow I do it wrong. And so here it's going, the peaceful fruit of righteousness. I'm not a horticulturalist. I'm not, I don't work in agriculture. But I think one thing that's really important to understand is this. Some plants can take over a decade to bear fruit. You ever thought about that? You ever planted a seed and instantly got an apple tree? No, it takes years. You know, apple farmers will literally cut some of a, a tree that's aged and graft it to a new tree because it takes too long to grow an apple tree. Why? Bearing fruit takes years and time. This is why we must consider and lean into the Lord. Why? Because what the Lord is doing in your life might not yield fruit in one week. It may not yield fruit within a year, but I promise you he is already tilling the soil in your life in order to do this work. It is not always immediate or short, but it is always alive and working towards beauty. So there's an analogy from a guy named Les that I was listening to, and he talks about a bamboo tree. And so there's a very specific type of bamboo tree, and it takes five years once it's planted before it breaks through the soil. And after those five years, when it breaks through the soil, in five weeks, it grows 90 feet tall. Can I ask you a question? Did that tree grow 90 feet in five weeks or five years? The answer is five years. Why? Those five years were crucial to the foundational laying of what the Lord was going to birth in that bamboo plant. And in the same way, sometimes the Lord's work in your life, in those areas of your heart that are so deep and so private, he is tilling the soil and preparing seeds <clears throat> that are gonna grow in time. But if you cheat the five years, you will never see the 90 feet. My question is this. Are you tempted to cheat the five years? Are you tempted to cheat the areas that the Lord is showing you today? To dismiss it? Because I'm here to say lean into it. It's going to yield a beautiful fruit. The most foundational work sometimes the Lord does in our lives is in the areas of quiet correction with him. But it's one of the easiest areas to forsake and push off and ignore. It's interesting and beautiful how the Lord, before he gives the call to endure, lays the beautiful foundation that his discipline is a demonstration of his love, a demonstration of our citizenship. 
and it is for our good. He then now calls us to endure because the enduring is birthed from the grand design. If you don't see the grand design and you don't see the power behind it, you don't have a shot at enduring. It is only when we know the design that we can obey the call to endure because the pain and discomfort of enduring will be washed out by the beauty of obedience and the power of that obedience. So what's our calling in this? What's our calling? It's found in verses 12 through 17. It's this, watch over yourself. Hebrews is going to say, guard yourself. Why? Let's read 12 through 17. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and, of, and for which the holiness which no one will, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it may become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral and unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Here he's saying, Do not grow weary. Can I be honest with you? I grow weary. I grow faint. There are times where the Lord is working in my life and I just want to tap out and just have a 15-minute breather and say, I can't do this anymore. Our hands droop. Our knees grow weak. And so when the Bible's here saying, don't, like, lift those drooping hands, strengthen those knees, the Bible's not saying, suck it up, buttercup. The, the Bible is saying, if you have a shot at doing this, it must be birthed from what I just said, because the power of doing this is in the previous section. We can endure and be strengthened by having an eternal perspective, by considering Christ. Not just in an eternal perspective, but in this momentary time. We need to watch out over ourselves. Why? Verse 14, our striving for peace with others is a demonstration in which people will see the Lord. Verse 15 continues that, that people will know the Lord <coughs> and not partake in the Lord. We don't have time to play religious games. He's saying, endure, lean in, persevere. Why? There are people that will know the Lord and do not know the Lord. Verse 15 goes, see to it that there's no root of bitterness. This is a referral to like corruptive desires and influences we can have. And verse 16 says, like watch over yourself. Why? Because we can be like Esau. Now, you might read this and like, who is Esau? Why is this random guy named here? Why have I not seen that name in Harvest Kids? There's certain biblical names you can give your kids in Harvest Kids. It's great. There's other names you can't give your kids in Harvest Kids like Esau. Here's why it's saying Esau. You know Why? Because it's pushing into the theme. Esau wanted the things of God. He did not want God. Esau wanted the things of God and he did not want God. And so what Hebrews here is saying, watch over yourself, strive for peace, that people are going to watch you and it's going to be an opportunity for them to know the Lord. Watch over yourself, that there's no corrupt evil desires in you. And equally, guard yourself. Why? Because we can have a tendency to want the things of God and not want God. You know what a great health check spiritually is? And it's this. When you feel the correcting, disciplined love of God in your life, it will show you whether you want the things and the perks of God or if you want God himself. 
Because as he pushes into those areas of your heart, you'll either lean in because you want more of him and his love and him to prove your sonship or daughtership, or you will pull out. And it will show you in that moment whether you truly loved Christ or you loved what he had to offer. Here's another question. When was the last time you felt the Lord's corrective love in your life? When was the last time you felt the discipline of the Lord in your life? And as the Lord was disciplining you, what was your response to that correcting love? What if the greatest response in us to the correcting, disciplining love of God was worship? As God demonstrates his love through discipline and demonstrates through discipline that we are his children, we respond in love through worship. And a God is responding in great love to us through discipline. It's this mutual encounter of love and affection. Naturally, the discipline and correction makes you want to pull back from the Lord. It's going to make you feel dirty. It's going to make you feel shame. It's going to make you feel guilt. It, it's going to make you feel like you're unworthy. I want you to know when the Lord put, like, starts to press into those areas of your heart and he pushes in, I want you to know it's an invitation for you to draw near, not far. But if you're anything like me, when he shows me these areas of my heart, I'm like, I can't, I can't go to church. I can't pray. I can't. And what I do now is I pull away from the very thing that's trying to show his love for me. And now I'm left alone in shame, guilt, condemnation, and defeat. I'm here to say this. If you are feeling the discipline of the Lord, if you are feeling the correcting love of the Lord, lean in all the more. It is for your good. You will experience his love for you, and it will show you who you are a citizen of. And as the worship band comes up to prepare I think it's important to realize this. I'm preaching as a preacher to people as well who have not arrived yet. Nobody here is there yet. I don't care how good your Instagram looks, how many filters you throw on there. We're, we have not arrived. We need to be feeling the correcting love of God in our lives. It's a love that challenges us. It's a love that grows us. We cannot do this alone. The areas that the Lord is growing us, if we're not careful, we're gonna use those areas. And as the Lord pushes into your heart, he's go, like our flesh is gonna want to use it for shame, guilt, and defeat. That when we see those areas of our life that just aren't aligned with God, there's a sweet little whisper that lies to you in that moment going, shame. That when Lord shows you these areas of your life, the flesh is gonna go, guilt. That when the Lord presses into these areas of your life, the enemy goes, you are not his child. I want you to know that as those lies whisper to your heart, the Lord is saying something else. And he is saying as he's showing you the correcting love, as he's disciplining you, as he's pushing it, I want you to know what the Lord says is, I love you. You are my son. You are my daughter. You are a work of my craftsmanship, and I am a great craftsman. 
I'm here to encourage you. Tell one voice to shut up and, tell, and start to listen up to another voice. Do you see how good this love is? Do you see how great the correcting love and disciplining nature of the Lord is? I'm here to encourage you and to encourage me at the same time. Endure, keep going, keep wrestling, keep falling forward as necessary. Don't come out from underneath it. The Lord is working on you. He doesn't allow his children to come to three-quarter completion. He, bring, he desires to bring us to full completion. He will not let you out of the work early. He wants to finish the good work that he has started in you because he takes joy in his craft and equally it brings glory to him. The Lord does not want a three-quarter product in your life and nor will he allow it. So rejoice because he's going to continue to craft, to mold, and to pour into you so that the full effect would take root in your life. I don't need to ask you if the Lord is correcting you or disciplining you. I just need to ask you a different question. And the question is this. Today, who are you going to consider? Are you going to consider Christ, who has life-giving words, love and affection for you and direction for you? Or are you going to consider you, others, and the enemy, who are ultimately hopeless and destructive? And so I'm going to set a challenge before I pray, and it's this. We're about to worship. I want to challenge you. The greatest response that we will ever have as a child of God, that we will ever have, is to worship in response to what God has already done and is doing. And so we're about to worship, and I'm, I'm going to challenge you. Worship in response to the love he has first displayed in you. Worship as a son and a daughter of God in whom he delights in. So let us now, here, grow in the delightful response of worship to the one who corrects us, to the one who disciplines us, and in the process, demonstrates his love and delight in us. Will you stand as I pray? Father God, we praise you. Never once has your scalpel wavered. Never once has your surgery not been good. Lord, this is a call for us to place our trust and to consider you. So Lord, I pray for those of us who are here today and our heart is beating a million miles an hour. I pray in this moment, Lord, as we worship you, would we experience the love and delight that you have in us. Thank you, God. Not just for the love that you have for us or the delight you have for us, but I thank you that there is none like you. And so, Lord, as, as we're about, we about to just worship in response to what you have done, we worship as sons and daughters who are delighted in, free from guilt, free from shame, and free from condemnation. In Christ's name.